Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the CBA Grain Exchange. I'm joined today by Kevin Gonnerman with Stone X. Kevin joined us in September. Uh, if you remember back six months ago uh, to dive into some of the numbers, sure appreciate his expertise as he hops on today. We're talking about the February WASD report and some other exciting things that are going on. Kevin, welcome back to the CBA Grain Exchange. Thank you very much, Luke. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and your patrons today. You bet. Well, Kevin, I got to be honest with you, it was probably one of the more interesting days these markets have had in a while. And that's probably saying something because we've been on one heck of a tear ever since 2022 got started. But uh, maybe take us through take us through the morning today and kind of what happened in specifically I'm, I'm looking at the soybean chart right now, March soybeans. Uh, ultimately finished lower today, down 20 cents. Um, producers asking, probably because they're reading about a blow-off top in soybeans. Let's talk through that a little bit. What did you see in the bean market today? And maybe describe some of the characteristics that could define today as a blow-off top. Well, Luke, when I got up this morning at five o'clock and started to write my comments and outlook for today, uh, the market had just barely breached the $16 mark. Then I come into the office and all of a sudden soybeans are $16.25 and it's like, what in the world has just happened? Uh, the volume exploded, prices rallied significantly. And uh, then you go to the newswire and you discover that CONAB, the Brazilian government agency, uh, AKA Brazilians USDA, had released a soybean crop production estimate of 125.5 million metric ton, simply about eight and a half to nine million metric ton below the number the USDA came out with yesterday. So prices responded, the players, the traders responded and bought the market significantly. Then as the day wore on, the buying started to slow down and then we reversed and prices began to implode rather than explode. So you mentioned the, the term blow off top, that's a technical term, and that relates to the price action uh, specifically that we have seen here in the soybean market since the 1st of January. You know, Luke, when you look at it, since the 1st of January through yesterday, the open interest in soybean contracts has gone up every day except for one. And that was January 19th, January 18th, when it was down 1,000 contracts. Otherwise, this market that has rallied tremendously uh, has seen new buying and not just buying from the speculator. We like to spend a lot of time about the speculator, but the commercial has been the biggest buyer here the last several weeks. Now, associated with that term blow off top is an increase in volume. It's driven by the volume. We started the 1st of January averaging 178,000 contracts per day. 
The second week, it was 191,000. The third week, 192,000. The fourth week in January, we got to 216,000. The first week in February, 253. Last week, 285,000. Now this week, the volume is going to be higher because of the Goldman Row process, which is occurring. But just to give you an idea, on Monday, we traded 359,000, Tuesday, 346, crop report day, 409. And I haven't seen the numbers yet today, but you can see how the volume has continued to escalate. And that has been driven with the open interest increasing and price increasing as well. Mm -hmm. Now here today, the market, I believe, is trying to tell us that they, the CONAB number was what the market was trading yesterday. It didn't receive that from USDA. And so after the algorithm traders got done trading the headlines, the computers got done trading the headlines, and those people had actually crunched numbers and looked at what happened to Brazilian production, what happened to Brazilian exports, what happened to Chinese imports. They believe that the number wasn't 134, but it was something smaller. And the mm -hmm. implication that was going to happen to soybean price was with the increase we saw in U.S. crush, we haven't reduced demand either domestically or around the world something has got to give. Yep. Price is how you make that happen. So the market rallied significantly. Now we've seen what looks like could be a reversal type of price action here today. It'll be really interesting to see how we finish the week. Um, we started the week looking at a weekly chart on March soybeans. We opened Sunday night with a gap higher at 1571 this evening. It's 1574 and a quarter. Who would have said today that we would have seen a 68 cent range in soybeans, high to low? Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, you, you mentioned it correctly because I'm looking at that weekly chart right now. You know, if we have a poor day tomorrow, uh, definitely a topping pattern on the weekly chart and a bearish one. At that, momentum indicators for quite a while now have been been overbought. I mean, this market just hasn't corrected um, in a meaningful way in, a, you know, pretty much two months now, really the middle of December we took off and uh, we haven't really looked back. So I, that's kind of interesting taking us through that, Kevin. And I think the volume that you communicate and, and for those listening volumes, just the amount of, of contracts traded in a day in a session. Um, and so it can be used in conjunction with some of these chart patterns that we see to give us clues on uh, you know, where prices could be headed. And so when you see a day with a nearly a 70 cent range, new highs, and we ultimately finish lower combined with high volume and open interest that's declining, uh, it certainly smells like some profit taking and some people getting out uh, that have been riding this thing for a while. And uh, because we haven't corrected in a while, there's a lot of air, there's a lot of air under the move. Um, so if things do move, it can move pretty quick. So. Uh, doesn't mean things are done and over and, you know, soybean prices are headed to $12, but um, an interesting day nonetheless and, and something that gives us something to discuss. But anything else to add to the, to the thought process there, Kevin? 
No, you've identified it, Luke. It was it was all that open interest. Just thinking of it as helium going into a balloon, and now, with the market starts down, that that air, that helium starts coming out of the balloon. The open interest starts to come down. It's profit taking. You need buying for a market to go up. Just the lack of buying will allow prices to decline. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, soybeans kind of the talk today. You know, as you look at a corn chart, it certainly wasn't uh, as extreme, I would say, uh, as the soybean market. But we did make new highs in uh, March corn for the move today and uh, ultimately finished lower as well. So a uh, similar type of chart damage, I guess you could say, in terms of how it appears when you look at it. Uh, weekly charts don't look as bad in corn uh, as you pull that up. But uh, we'll see how the week finishes tomorrow. And uh, what it means for price action, at least in the short term. But that is correct, Luke. And 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 yesterday was an example. We had a 14 cent gain on the day, but open interest was down 1,000 contracts in corn. In soybeans, you had the market up 26 cents, and you had open interest up 21,000 contracts. So as you mentioned, the corn chart doesn't look nearly as dramatic as uh, the soybean chart. Uh, because it hasn't been as dramatic going up as well. Sure. And that soybean, you know, 21,000 bump in open interest on a higher day. I mean, that tells us there's new buyers, right? Yes, sir. It does. Right. So new buyers had a chance to make some good money <laughs> waking up this morning. Beans up 30. Uh, on a good note, producers uh, had some resting offers working uh, just on the cash side of the business. A lot of $14 beans. Uh, we're able to be sold off the combine over the last two days. So uh, kudos to our producers who've got open orders working. Volatile markets like this, uh, that can be the difference between a price you like and, and a price you don't. So uh, a little bit of a plug for uh, putting open orders in and letting those go to work for you. But Kevin, appreciate that segment. Let's, let's talk a little bit. You had mentioned Conab's numbers. You know, they slashed 15 million metric tons off of their previous estimate. They're below the USDA of course, uh, with where they came in yesterday. So let's talk just a bit about um, those USDA numbers. And I've got those pulled up here. So if we look at, let's start with corn. Uh, USDA punted on uh, domestic balance sheet revisions in their February WASDE report, um, which probably disappointed the bulls a little bit, but it certainly wasn't bearish by any stretch. We just kind of paused and moved forward. On the global balance sheet, you know, they cut Brazilian, uh, corn production estimate by 1 million metric ton from 115 down to 114. It's uh, still a little bit early on the Brazilian corn crop. They, they are going to produce a majority of their crop with their safrina corn. Uh, they're planting that right now uh, as they harvest soybeans. And so, yeah, it's been dry in southern Brazil, but, you know, if they get rains at the right time, their corn crop could still, um, you know, meet some production estimates. So too early to be slashing the Brazilian corn crop in any meaningful way. USDA kind of felt that way yesterday uh, in their February WASD. No other major global corn uh, revisions uh, to really speak of, Kevin. What stuck out to you um, with what the USDA did with the Feb WASD? Well, regarding the, the corn supply and demand table, um, I think you could call it a positive loop that they didn't cut U.S. corn exports yesterday. Uh, our export pace is still just a little bit slow, um, running under the weekly totals needed to reach that USDA forecast. 
that could have been somewhere that they could have uh, added buffered um, added a little bit to our balance sheet, but we didn't see that yesterday. Yeah, fair fair point. It's been a little bit sluggish. We've really talked about that at our winter grain meetings when you look at a corn export sales chart. And uh, China was a big buyer of U.S. corn. When was that, Kevin? Probably a year ago now through the, the spring months. Um, you know, they put 10 to 11 million metric tons on with us, but they haven't executed all that yet. They've been, they've been moving some of it out of the country, but there's still a chunk of Chinese corn business on the books that still needs to be shipped. So, you know, I think there's, I don't think it's any time to panic in terms of what the Chinese will or won't do. It's probably typical that we see U.S. corn export inspections pick up the pace as the soybean program winds down, but, uh, you know, maybe the USDA felt that way too with uh, South American headlines, at least lately, that yeah, we might be a little bit behind, but let's uh, let's slow play any adjustments on exports. Is that maybe an angle they could be playing? Yeah, that's right, Luke. Um, that is a possibility. I think what we we need to recognize, though, as uh, corn farmers, um, the Ukraine had a record crop this year. So when you look at the weekly export sales report and you look at South Korea, and the lack of participation from South Korea. You look to Vietnam and the lack of participation from them. Um, it all ties back and it's directly related to the Ukraine and the record production they're gonna have and therefore the record amount of exports that they're gonna have this year that they didn't have last year. Sure, fair point. And how much of the issues in Eastern Europe right now between Russia, NATO, and Ukraine, is that playing into this at all? Is it playing into any type, any type of risk premium associated with corn futures? And is it in the back of the mind of the USDA in terms of what US corn exports might prove to be, you know, come the end of this marketing year? Well, I can't speak to the mind of the USDA and what they're thinking <laughs> because they don't think rationally, but they see a bigger picture than what I see. So I just have to take what they publish as, as gospel for the, at the time that, that it's released. Um, we did see in two other markets, Luke, the Russian-Ukrainian uh, conflict or perceived conflict, all that anxiety reflected in wheat price and in the value of the US dollar. Uh, the US dollar was significantly higher uh, here a couple weeks ago as troops were moving to the Ukrainian border and there was appeared to be an imminent threat of Russia invading Ukraine. You also saw that in the price of wheat for Chicago and Kansas City. Um, and it has since then taken a lot of that risk premium out and the U U.S. dollar has weakened significantly also. Those are probably the two markets that we saw the biggest uh, biggest impact from the uncertainty from the military conflict in the in the black sea area well and that i don't think that book is fully written uh certainly a lot of things can happen but uh it's anybody's guess how the dominoes fall uh in eastern europe but uh, the markets are keenly aware and watching uh you know what transpires and and what it's going to do to you know the commodities here in the U.S. 
But uh, yeah, corn, uh, pretty quiet there. Interesting though, Kevin, we'll have to see how the USDA plays the exports, uh, you know, for U.S. corn going forward and uh, how that balance sheet changes, you know, on the corn side of things. Ethanol demand unchanged as well. They've gotten off to a great start this marketing year, but ethanol margins finally have started to come back to break-even type levels. So, um, you know, we'll just see how the how the uh, gasoline demand, ethanol demand, uh, how the logistics all play into what the uh, ethanol processor is able to chew through, you know, as we move into the middle part of the, of the marketing year. So plan on driving on your family vacation this summer. Don't fly any place, Luke. There you go. Yes. Uh, we gasoline demand had been good. So we'll see where, where that goes. Let's, uh, let's flip it over to beans. Uh, they had a few adjustments there that we can talk about. Domestic balance sheet, uh, crush demand was up 25 million bushels. So uh, that was added to our total usage, ending stocks down by a like amount. We go from 350 down to 325 million bushels. So uh, U.S. carryout getting a little bit tighter on the global side. Um, USDA did pull uh, the Brazilian production down 5 million metric tons from 139 to 134. Uh, they started out at 144. So we're down 10 million metric tons in two months on Brazilian production out of the USDA. Uh, Argentine beans down 1.5 million metric tons. Uh, so certainly acknowledging some issues uh, in Brazil and Argentina as that crop gets smaller, according to the USDA. Uh, one interesting piece in there was Chinese imports were lowered from 100 million metric tons down to 97. Um, so those were some of the key adjustments in the February WASD. Kevin, what uh, did you take away from the numbers? That when I'm reporting them, I can tell them what I want them to hear. It was really interesting. I have to give a shout out to the Brazilian office of StoneX. Uh, the 1st of January, they came out with their production estimate. It was 125.5. And that was down from their estimate of, uh, I think it was 134 back in January. But I told, uh, told the guys here in the office on the 1st, I said, the biggest surprise to me isn't just the reduction in the production. It's the reduction in exports. We're forecasting 80 million metric ton is all they're going to ship. When in January, USDA was at 94 million metric ton. Now this month, with that reduction that we saw, as you mentioned, of 5 million metric tons of production, USDA does reduce the Brazilian export forecast by three and a half million metric ton. So they're posted at 90. Now this morning, CONAB in their report indicated that their estimate is Brazil export 80 million metric ton. So there's 10 million metric ton of potential fewer bushels to be exported out of Brazil than what the USDA is indicating. You can only cut Chinese demand and world inventory so much before you have to start to allocate some of those export bushels back to the United States. And I think that's what we saw yesterday in the price action during the soybean trade yesterday. There was an acknowledgement that Brazil production was headed down, not as much as headlines would have liked to have seen, but it was in the right direction. And so as the day wore on, the soybean prices rallied back. 
It's because what happens to the U.S. balance sheet if we have to absorb three, four million metric ton of a fewer production or fewer export bushels coming out of Brazil? All of a sudden, instead of having a carryout going from 350 towards 400, we've got a carryout at 350 million bushels that could be possibly back to rationing levels by the time we get to 1st of September. That was kind of a game changer. Price has been reporting that. Basis values has been indicating that. Now the USDA is beginning to acknowledge fewer bushels out of Brazil. They just haven't acknowledged more bushels coming out of the U.S. Well, and you said something interesting in there, and the cash market's been telling us that, and that's true. You're starting to see uh, summer business uh, where the U.S. is a cheaper supplier, at least today, um, cheaper offers coming out of the U.S. compared to Brazil for that time period. So certainly conceivable that we see some, some mid to late summer business uh, rotate back to the U.S. and, and certainly impact U.S. carryouts. And yeah, you're, I mean, you're exactly right, Kevin, as we look at that number, I think before this South American weather situation got started, you know, a lot of the conversation was, and the market was pricing that in, was this carryout's going to get bigger in the U.S., not smaller. And, you know, that's done a complete 180 over the course of 60 days, uh, you know, after some extend, extended damage to that Brazilian soybean crop. So, yeah, you're talking, uh, you know, 4 million metric tons, let's call it, for the folks that aren't metric, uh, that'd be about 144 million bushels. So, yeah, U.S. carryout at 350 you're getting a sub 200 and that's when things certainly get tight uh, from a soybean standpoint. And that was also reflected, I think, Luke, in, in the commercial aspect from, from the elevators and, and from CVA where just uh, 10 days ago, uh, we had the uh, March Bay soybean spread was at a carry and it has reversed now and it's back to an inverse. Yeah, it's been pretty wild. I mean, it it did, uh, it sucked in pretty fast. There were some good carries in beans probably, yeah, like you said, several weeks ago. And, you know, the cash market's starting to tell a different story. So uh, interesting to watch that and how all these dynamics are coming together. Um, then you throw in the blow-off top type price action today. And, you know, what's what's the long-term view of soybeans? Certainly looks positive as you look at a balance sheet, but that doesn't mean we have to go straight up every day either. No, that is correct. And, and when you look at a, uh, a chart, which has your stocks to use ratio plotted against what the average price paid to the farmer is, if this was a fundamental only market, we are about $3 too high. Yep. Yeah, we've, Right on. I mean, you could make the same argument for corn, you know, stocks to use ratio where it is, you know, corn prices just purely fundamental uh, too high. But, you know, that's not that's not the only thing that makes up a, a Chicago price, if you will, a Chicago Board of Trade price. And you've got a lot of other factors involved in in determining that value. So interesting, uh, interesting market we find ourselves in. And uh, in February here, when typically we probably find some seasonal type uh, weakness. Uh, it used to be called the old John Deere low, you know, as we see a lot of grain moving in February, gearing up for loan payments. But uh, here we are making uh, contract highs in the month of February. So 
So good, uh, good color on that, Kevin. Let's let's move into. Want to get your thoughts here before we start winding things down, but give us your thoughts. You know, what strategies are a fit in markets like this? I mean, volatility is is legit. The markets feel strong. Um, we've polled our farmers at all of the winter meetings that we've been conducting, and you know, we ask them what's been the biggest pain point for you in grain marketing the last. 18 months, and the answer is the same everywhere we go. Uh, I sold my grain too soon, and I watched the market go up. So, you know, that's the kind of environment we're in. What what strategies are a fit, Kevin, in this type of situation? Well, I think you raise a great question, Luke. Are we trading a commodity, or are we running a business? And that's not just a rhetorical and it's not just a sarcastic question, but it's a, a realistic question. As you look at what you do day to day, are you trading commodities in Chicago or are you raising corn, beans, and wheat in CVA trade territory? Hopefully you're raising a crop to sell to market at a profit to stay in business for the next year and to build the operation for the future generation. That is the ultimate goal. It is not to sell the high, it's not to buy the low, but it's to make money and to be profitable year in and year out. As we mentioned this morning, who would have thought when we got out of bed this morning, we see a 70 cent range in soybeans? Nobody knows, nobody can tell you what that market's gonna do tomorrow. So what a person needs to do is use strategies, use grain contracts that provide you with the floor that provide you with profitability. And if you want to take some of that profitability and purchase a call option and make a minimum price contract, or if you want to buy a put option to give yourself a floor in case there's a weather problem and, and you don't want that delivery commitment, there are several different types of contracts that can be used. But for goodness sakes, folks, don't miss $14 futures or $14 cash soybeans at harvest time. And don't miss 550 corn. I asked our research department today to give me a 10 year histogram of how long November futures, what that range of prices have been from $8 to $18, Luke, in the last 10 years, because a lot of people are going to start to talk about 2012. Uh -huh. It's inevitable that that discussion is going to be held. So the question to you then is how many days, what percentage of days did November soybeans trade above $14? And would you be surprised to see that it was 7% of the time in 10 years, November futures were above $14? And here this week, we almost hit 15. We could have been receiving $14 for cash beans at harvest time. I did the same thing for corn. Go ahead, Luke. Uh, ju just to understand that, and, I, and I, I've seen these charts before, Kevin, but just to, to add some color to that, just so the folks listening understand that. So in, I believe you said a 10-year period, was that correct? Yes, the last 10 years. Last 10 years, which arguably are the, you know, the best years in ag, of course. 7% um, of trading days over the last 10 years have seen soybeans with a 14 in front in front of them. Is that correct? 
November soybean futures. New, new crops specifically. So yep. if you're if you pulled the trigger on beans today, you're you are in uh, you are in good company in terms of uh, days when you could have made those sales. It's it's a rare it's a fairly rare event, I guess, is what I think of when you when you share that information, Kevin. Well, I think those those points that you're sharing, and I appreciate the the research on that, Kevin. What that tells me is it's probably okay to let a few new crop beans go. Am I wrong? Well, I think a person needs to understand that you're not going to sell the high with your grain, with your crop. You never will. And so we shouldn't really make that a marketing goal. What our marketing goal needs to be is to incrementally sell a production, a percentage of our production profitably so that we're making money removing some of the emotion if if we could have said last um oh last fall what were november soybeans you can tell i'm doing this off off the cuff um last january january 19th we are 1285 that you are going to have a chance in 60 days heck 30 days to be selling 1450 november soybean futures would you have put an open order in to do so Heavens, yeah. yeah, and rightfully so. So we really need to know what our cost of production is. This is going to be one of those type of years. It doesn't happen very often, um, but with the type of input prices that we have, it is paramount to know what our cost is going to be before we go to the field, uh, whether that's seed, Roundup, fertilizers, whatever that input is, we've got to have a very sharp pencil so we know what those costs are going to be. And then when we have chances to make sales and make money, we make sales. Hopefully we can average up, but the important thing is that we need to be making sales when we can make money. Amen to that. It's, uh, you know, it's a higher risk environment as the amount of dollars it takes to raise a crop increases, uh, you know, not to mention operating interest, you know, is probably on its way up. And so, uh, yeah, there's more risk for our producers to grow these crops and um, we can't fall asleep at the wheel just because of what recent price action has suggested. Uh, keep, your, keep your eye on the prize and focus on profitability and take the necessary small steps to uh, ensure that you're gonna have a good year. I think if I could summarize that for you, Kevin. You did a great job. You bet. Well, let's uh, let's wind this thing down. Um, leave us, Kevin, with maybe three marketing steps farmers should be thinking about as we move into the end of February and the beginning of March. Well, the first one was, and I've already touched on it, know what your cost of production is. Seriously, um, visit with the agronomist at uh, the CVA locations. Know what the availability of the different nitrogen products uh, products are so that you'll be prepared to put your numbers together. Secondly, um, use open orders. Uh, the strength that we saw overnight, a lot of times you'll put highs in the market from Chinese pricing business uh, during the nighttime uh, that aren't available during the day. And you look back over your shoulder in the rear view mirror saying, boy, I wish I would have been able to sell 1450. Well, if we had a non-emotional marketing plan put together that highlighted prices in which we could sell, 
we would have got that filled. And then thirdly, a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, Luke, we never put our highs in February. Uh, we put our highs in during the summertime when the market builds in price risk. Perhaps we should be looking at using several different types of marketing contracts, including including maybe the average price contract, which will price during a period of the year in which prices are typically building in quite a bit of risk premium. Well, it's a good plug for the CBA averaging program, Kevin. That's uh, much appreciated. But yes, those types of tools are out there, uh, whether you're close to a CBA location or not. Uh, seasonal price averaging programs typically perform very well. Uh, you can go back and look in history, and 80% of the time, those are going to outperform uh, harvest price action. So, uh, yeah, great, great uh, contract and strategy that can be utilized as you start putting the final finishing touches on uh, marketing for, you know, your pre-plant bushels. Kevin, uh, you do a great job when you're on here. Appreciate a lot of your, your research and your data that you were able to share with us. Uh, so appreciate that. Our patrons are going to use that as they make good marketing decisions uh, between now and uh, planting season. Appreciate the time, Kevin. Uh, we'll have you on again. Until then, uh, producers and listeners, stay safe. We'll talk to you uh, in another month. Thank you, Luke. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month, and until then, stay safe. Stay safe.